this week, not even week, part two of our candid conversation with star author of Longshot, How Political Nobodies Took Andrew Yang National, the new playbook that let us build a movement, Zach Grauman. And for those of you who are tuning in just now, you should know that part one of this conversation uh, is the previous episode, so check that out. But because this book is so awesome, this deserved a double episode, and we are starting this convo just around when my presidential campaign starts to get its legs under it. And that was the beginning of 2019. Zach, what do you remember about the beginning of 2019? We had known. So first thing I'll say, we, I got a lot of compliments on the first episode, the first part of this. So thanks, guys. Sounds like we are going back memory down memory lane a bit. But um, to answer your question, we knew we were getting on Rogan. A little before New Year's, right? I don't know what we found out. It was like right around Oh, now. snap. You're right. So I, I go on Rogan like second week of February 2019. Yes. And I find out about it maybe like six weeks ahead of time. Yeah. Like so was right in the middle of January, it was like, because we were trying to find out. So we just got, we'd gone to Sam Harris like seven months ago or so. And that was a good boon for us. We're like, so what other Sam Harris's are there? It was a plan. And the big, the takeaway was like, it's kind of just Joe Rogan and a couple of other big pods. Uh we found out we're going on Joe, and we're like, hell yeah. And then we basically spent to zero. Uh, <laughs> it, it is really funny where we were so confident <laughs> that Joe Rogan was going to catalyze <laughs> the campaign that we just spent like the money was going to come in afterwards. It was wild. In the sense that, uh, I think you you were right. Yeah, you, you talked about this in the last episode, but like, you know, if Joe Rogan doesn't do it, this campaign's probably going to die. Um, probably. Um, and it's not worth splitting hairs over $10,000 wherever we're talking about. But um, we basically stopped doing the traditional fundraising events. And we hoped that Joe Rogan would basically like 10x Sam Harris and give us a healthy runway. And uh, that's what I remember in January. And it was, um, we had kind of built the Yang Gang then. Um in terms of locking things down, we were, uh, but we weren't really making any hires. We didn't have any money. We weren't growing. Um, so, I'm trying to think, what, what January? It wasn't a slow month, but it when did they announce uh, the requirements for the June debates? So this is where we lucked out. I think it was February 12th. Joe Rogan happened, and two days later, they announced the requirements for the debate. This is where we got some luck our way. Finally, so here's something that has never before been revealed. I think. I don't know. So um, Joe Rogan's a big deal, but we're busy leading up to it. Yep. So I'm in a rental vehicle between towns in uh, Iowa in early 2019. It's winter. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, let's just play some Joe Rogan episodes. So I have like a sense of, well, that's right. of that so in we the went environment. To Iowa a couple times in January. Or Iowa, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. And... There was one conversation he had with Sam Harris, which was very helpful. Yep. Um, when I realized that Sam Harris had been deeply concerned about AI before I came along um, yeah. and said to Joe, it's like, look, someone has to try and prepare our society for AI. And so when he saw me running for president, Sam Harris, he was like, hey, this guy might help prepare us for AI. Like, mm -hmm. let me try and help him. Right. Uh, and Sam was also the person who called Joe Rogan, by the way, and was like, hey, Joe, have yeah, Yang on. Yeah, that was the genesis there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so after I listened to that conversation between Joe and Sam Harris, I was like, oh, my gosh, like Sam Harris has been 
kind of waiting for someone like me or paving the road. And now that I'm here, he's trying to pave the road further. Mm -hmm. And that led me to Joe. Um, But hearing these conversations uh, actually really invigorated me because I was like, I am what this uh, certainly what Sam was was waiting on. And I, th- I thought to some extent what Joe was waiting on. Um, and so my uh, excitement level for it just go- kept going up and up uh, leading to the day of. Yeah. And we had hope. So we raised a good chunk of change from, you know, basically people listen to podcasts and they donate. And um, so we were hoping that Joe Rogan probably has a 10x the size of Sam's audience or so. And so we were hoping a 10x the, the donations. And Joe was... I think he was hesitant because other people, I mean, his, he had a lot of fans that asked him to come on and stuff. I think he was a little hesitant on UBI. You had to sell him on it. Um, but so you go, we go to LA. Um, I remember like driving around LA, getting like a smoothie, like making sure I was like, <laughs> I always joke. We always called the candidate the baby. Like, you know, make sure the baby got some sleep last night. Like baby's well fed. So I'd make sure it fed the baby uh, before he had the big performance. Um, and but I'm trying to remember. I'm so basically Joe has this like hanger. The man hanger. Man hanger. It's pretty cool. And if you're with the guests, you sit in this like kind of waiting room and you can watch it live on the screen. It's pretty cool. Definitely the coolest podcast setup we've ever been to. Um, and I'm sitting in there with one of his friends or something and someone we brought along whatever, and I'm watching the thing. And Joe pressed you on something like real hard. And... If I watched the episode, I remember what it was, but he pressed you on something and like my heart dropped. I was like, oh shit, did Yang, you were talking about, I think it was something to do with some sort of job displacement or whatever it was. And he, Joe like double questioned, double down, was like, no, 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 what about this? And I, my heart dropped. I was like, oh shit, Yang, like, please tell me you've done your research. And then you doubled down and pressed him back and was like, oh yeah, Yang came out swinging, Yang knew his shit. And then I was like, oh God, this is gonna go well. Um, because Joe did a really good job asking a lot of like the tough questions on universal basic income and your platform. Um, so yeah, it went pretty great. And we raised a bunch of money real quick. Yeah, it felt, so one of the things that happened in the campaign, this was not always the case, but it, that Joe Rogan definitely was the case, where uh, I kind of felt like the moment was important <laughs> and was very, very present. I mean, if you can imagine me running for president, I had some weird interview all the time, every day, maybe like, you know, yeah. four or five a day. If you include events, maybe, yeah. you know, like, you know, five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like I'm like, you know, 100 percent on each one of them. I mean, you you know, it like it's impossible to operate like that. But the Joe Rogan thing that it felt historic to me when I went in there. Yeah. The same thing happened, actually, when I sat down with Sam Harris seven months earlier, First where time, I, yeah. I sensed I was like, this is going to be really, really this important. Matters. Yeah. And I'm not even sure if that process through which my thinking something is important was um, rational or conscious. It's almost like you feel <laughs> like, like you feel this energy around it. And you're just like, yeah. oh, um, now I, I say this, that this didn't happen every single time because there are times when, frankly, I didn't think something was important that turned out to be important. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, but there were times when it lined up and certainly that was one of them. And I got to say, the impact was immediate. Like I would walk around yes. the next week and all of a sudden my recognizability shot up. And I will say this to you all, that if you are the candidate, you can sense the energy around you all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the energy around me just shot up where if I just went into a random restaurant, someone would just look at me and say like, hey, 
like nice job on Rogan. Yeah. Like things that were not happening at, at any time previously. Yes. Actually, before that, someone would come up to me sometimes and be like, hey, like I uh, heard you on Sam Harris. Yeah, and I'm Sam a big Harris. fan. That's where and I wrote about this in the book. People, Joe Rogan. And this is I don't know his post Spotify numbers because it's behind a wall now and there's not a lot of data you can get. But uh, pre Spotify, let's say um, Joe Rogan was Game of Thrones. Sunday night, HBO primetime. Every time he touched the mic, if not double or triple that certain episodes. Uh, we're talking tens, tens of millions of people watching his stuff every episode, not just as YouTube and audio. Um, it's a joke when the mainstream media would call him fringe or I mean, he's like he's a little, like you could take Tucker Carlson, uh, Chris Cuomo, R.I.P. <laughs> in terms of that show uh, and uh, Rachel, Rachel Maddow, combine them and you wouldn't reach Joe Rogan's. You, you wouldn't combine a Joe Rogan's uh, reach. And we were um, we knew this. We didn't, but we didn't know like what that actually meant in terms of practice. So what happened was we remember just refreshing it. And we're like, I think we raised two hundred fifty grand in a week, and it just kept going. Um, but we lucked out. I mean, we went to In and Out after, which was great to celebrate because um, we had, like raised enough. We're like we have money now. Um, but the DNC shortly after this, this was our biggest stroke of luck. Like shortly after, like literally in the heat of the Joe, like the height of the Joe Rogan like hype train was uh, they announced that the debate requirements were to either get 1% in three polls um, that they had approved. Or 65,000. 65,000 individual donors. Uh, and so like all the Joe Rogan hype, we were able to just like funnel into, oh, you like the guy? Donate a buck. Um, and so we did it in a month. It was essentially exactly one month from Joe Rogan's appearance, and it was and the announcement, the yeah. announcement, and it was wild. So, and I'll give. So, I wrote about the book. Uh, Sam Stein, who was a reporter at the Daily Beast, um, he's savvy. I like him because he was tracking, and he's like, I've been. We we had a we, one of the things we did really well was we measured real well. So we had a progress bar on the website. So if you donated, we could track. And, and the fans were, the Yang Gang was refreshing that every day. You can see little Andrew move across the screen, but you'd have. Uh, he calls it like I've been tracking you guys, and it looks like you're gonna hit. 65,000 donors any day now. Like, I want that story. Um, and it's true. And the names were, like, it was this list. It was Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Andrew fucking Yang. And we were still a nobody. So it was wild to see, like, oh, my gosh, this is real. It's very real. Um, and now that everyone else is calling us an internet troll or that sort of thing. But we knew, at that point, we knew, like, this is real. This is going to be real. And then after we hit the 65,000, we were like, hey, they're going to raise a threshold. And what was the next number they had? Uh, 120. It basically doubled. We, we, and we doubled it, essentially. We boosted to 100, I think, before the first debate. Yeah. And, and then we were like, oh, well, we can hit that next number. Yeah. Actually, they didn't. I think they moved it to 90 and then 100, 120. They kept moving it up. I don't think they exactly doubled it every time. It eventually got to 200,000 or so, 180, something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, so... It was great because we gave the Yang Gang a very tactical way to support. Um, because you know, getting people to register to vote hard, like donating a dollar, getting ten people to donate a dollar, like you could you could get a hundred people to donate a dollar to one thing. If people on the street, right? Uh, and that's what was happening. And you were seeing these like you go follow online. It's like I just yanged my cab driver and my mom, my grandma. It was like I like almost cry thinking about it. It was so fucking heartwarming. And that's when I say. 
like the the only reason this existed was because of the Yang Gang, because of the supporters. That's not a lie. It's not a bullshit like fluff puff peas. That's true. Like we like we had to. We had to do it through like a grassroots movement, and it was the definition of that. You know. Yeah. So between February and June, energy is picking up. Uh, we do a CNN town hall. You um, do all the pods too. You do Breakfast Club, Ben Shapiro, Pod Save America, eventually. Um, Preet Bharara, you did a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. So that the so spring 2019 is when we're, we're rising and becoming more serious. We basically went on like a national tour from Joe Rogan in February through the first debate. It was probably really April through May. We went on tour like a lot. We did all these big all those big rally shots. You see, the vast majority were before that June debate, um, and we burnt. Everybody out, everybody, because we were stupid about it. Um, I, I, optimistic about it is probably the better world. Like I think we were like, now it's time to go. When we had been grinding for a year and change, you know, that was about the biggest one. That was because uh, by the time we got to the debate in Miami, you were sick. You're sick as a dog like, going into there, um, and we hadn't figured out, frankly, from lack of experience, like how to rest you. Like we thought, like oh, time of the family, he'll be able to like relax. You got two little kids, man. It's not a relaxing moment. It's like more stress. Um, so anyway, that, but that's we ended up heading to Miami. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm gonna do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should. Do it right? And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Yeah, so I I was sick. I had this really, really nasty summer uh, flu bug. I do think it was tied to the fact that, like you said, we've been just like grindy, grindy for months. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and so like I get there and was like, ugh. Uh, and that first debate goes badly. Um, we managed to survive because of, and you say in the book, and I actually didn't realize until I read your book, um, how much my not wearing a tie apparently seemed to like help uh, deflect a narrative in a certain direction. There was that, and then like the microphone being off, which helped. So the the, well, the struggle for me um, was that 
is your first debate. So you think, oh, like, what the hell is going on? It turns out this MSNBC are just really like, you know, jackasses. <laughs> like, oh, and, yeah. and, and by the time the MSNBC moderated debate came up the next debate, which was like the fifth or sixth, I was like, they're going to be jackasses. We knew what to expect. And, yeah. and, and then and then they were jackasses. And you were like, well, that, that was like they, they like didn't ask me a question for 32 minutes. Like the whole thing was second one yeah, was, was, was madness. Um, but. The first time it was one of one. So you're like, like, what the hell was that? Sort and the of other thing. thing is like, well, I mean, how are you supposed to you really how are how is one supposed to know how MSNBC is going to treat you? Because there's not tape to review. So the last presidential, you, you, you're going back four years. Right. And so the last presidential was three candidates. Right. They're all getting some relatively substantial airtime. There hasn't been a this crowded of a presidential debate in the modern era. Ever, ever right yeah. so there was nothing to compare it to it was just the the republican debate which was fox and cnn and fox is relatively fair like they um i thought they did uh, having watched a bunch of those debates they did a good job letting everybody get in um and especially you know weighted based on polling um so that first debate we are fortunate to survive you're um, sick trying to have a coughing fit mic's off you're not wearing but not wearing a tie works really well um, yeah. So one thing I did not realize also until reading your book, hmm. was I supposed to wear a tie? Because I had thought I was I wasn't supposed to wear a tie the whole time. We had <laughs> loosely decided like you had said, like game time decision. You as a candidate, you're like, I'm all right. I get what you're saying. But you were like, we, but like the team was like, based job of interviewing the world, like we should really consider a tie. And that'll show like good for our fans. Like Andrew's going to take this seriously. We didn't think our fans would mind. We thought everybody else would mind. Um but we weren't like sold so, but we had like gone like you probably wear a tie. I brought three. I wouldn't have brought them unless we were gonna do it. And then I remember very clearly like holding it up and you're like, fuck that, I'm not wearing a tie. You could barely like you had a fog around you. You had this like fog. Uh, and I remember we did Barstool Sports was doing, they had like a political podcast, and we did that before the debate um with uh PFT, one of their hosts, and it would have been normally like a pretty big podcast so, like excited about, and you were like dead you're like you know like we're cutting this short and yeah you, i don't think you've ever cut an interview short like that before um and so in the hindsight we should have rescheduled that but uh again like you learn a lot we both learned like a lot of stuff on the fly and, you, know? you know i'm going to say something too that this is going to be like somewhat distinct hmm. maybe um so my brother had me read a book uh called dances of intimacy like years ago um and he, he said that in relationships, you have over-functioners and under-functioners. So this is in families, in a romantic relationship. And so you think of over-functioner as good, under-functioner as bad. But the, the, the problem is that over-functioners end up, um, one, they end up cultivating under-functioning in the people around them because they're kind of overcompensating. So if you imagine like the super like overachieving older brother, um, and then maybe the younger brother ends up being like a slacker layabout uh, okay. rebel in yep. part because the older brother is like kind of sucking that energy, sucking out. that energy and like filling that role. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was, you know, it's a fun book. But yeah. like but it, in the business context and certainly in the context of this campaign, like I, I was like this like stoic over functioner where it's like, well, I'm just going to like battle, battle, battle. And we're, we're going to like, you know, do the impossible together and the rest of it. Um, and so I, I was just, you know, like grinding against the gears or like mm -hmm. the the tire and so like if you have a more balanced dynamic then at some point you're like hey guys like you know man, like maybe we should like uh like take a little breather in, in here but that's not like the over functioner way you said uh, a lot you said yes to almost everything generally 
Yeah, and so overfunctioners at least from events. So, yeah. so there, there's a common thread too, like overfunctioners in uh, entrepreneurship, because there are like a lot of these like kind of, you know, test your limits, uh, like push, yeah. push, push, types in entrepreneurship. Um, and, and for me, romantically, and in terms of my personal relationships, like it took me until I was older, because what would happen was I'd be with someone, and then, um, like you know, it's like uh, I was not able to express. Uh, needs and vulnerabilities in like a healthy, productive way, mm. which by the way, I'm still not excellent at, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, um, but uh, I think that the the fact that it really took you at some point just being like, look guys, like Yang needs a break. Like, it, yeah. like, like in a healthier thing, maybe I would have been like, hey guys, like I could use a break, but it, it wasn't in me to be like, hey guys, I could use a break because you're like surrounded by a bunch of people and you feel like, okay, like I got to work harder than them. So they, you know, they're working this hard. I have to work harder. Yes. Uh, like, et cetera, et cetera. I have a funny story on this. It's going to fast forward, but it's a funny story. Um, so you, I've only seen you that sick twice. Uh, so the, the, I write in the book, like you were notoriously, like your reputation from people I talked to uh, since I met you was that you just don't get sick. You don't take six days, which is generally true. Like you're pretty much just a go, go, go. Um, so... But you got deathly sick twice on this campaign. One was right before the first debate, and the other one was right before election day. Um, great timing. Um, but you were, <laughs> you were, so you're dead. I talk about this a bit, but you're dead on the bus. Um, and we'll talk more about the bus, but you're dead, you're lying on this bus. We're driving around Iowa days and days, and you're like, you can't put your contacts in because your eyes are all swollen. So you're doing the events, you call them daredevil style, like blind, um, you can't see anybody. Uh, you would get, you would do an event, you'd get on the bus, take your shoes off, take your jacket off, put it over your head and pass out for two hours. And then to be nudged by someone, begrudgingly wake up and do the same thing. You do like four or five times a day. It's the worst way to recover from whatever sickness you had. There was a guy who you know it is. I'm going to name nameless just, but I have to say because the story is so funny. Um, he's like a friend of your, like a relative friend of yours. And he's like, he comes in and he's like, we're fucking here. We're here for the Yang. We're here to Yang. We're joining the bus. We're like, uh, what? What are you doing here? He's like, yeah, Yang said it's cool. And he was like a friend of yours. Like, yeah, yeah, Zach, it's fine. So this guy's sitting there. You are literally like jacket over fucking head, dying of God knows what. And he's trying to have a converse. He's on the bus. As you said, he's a friend of yours. And he's trying to have a conversation with you. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. I, I, I'm looking at the team like I'm gonna, I'm going to lose it. Like I'm going, like I know you see me blow my gasket once in a while, and I don't like yell all the time. But when I do, it's like a fucking ordeal. I'm like I'm gonna fucking lose it. And they're like, oh shit, stay away from that. So next stop, I you know, like pull him over the side, and I was like, you're getting off this fucking bus. What the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what do you? How do you see this playing out in your mind? The man is literally, he's running for president, and he's literally dead right now. And the guy looked at me. He's like. Well, I know. I thought we'd come hang out, hang out in Iowa, and like, you know, good to see him. Maybe get dinner after. And I'm like, what do you think this is? A fucking rock concert? Is like a band tour? You know, hang out with the band? He's sick. He's got a ninety, like a hundred degree fever in there. He's lying, and I'm screaming at him right now. And what do you think? We're gonna go hang out at fucking Chili's? We're not doing that. Get the fuck off the bus. I don't want to see you again. Get so I'm screaming in a parking lot. And Sanchez to this day, our press secretary Eric Sanchez, anytime like something happens, he's like. What are we going to fucking Chili's? Like since then to this day. But yeah, we just left him in like Dubuque, in like the middle of no. I'm like, you'll be fine. I don't care. Um, so long way of saying uh, it would. Yeah, it was a tough for. By the end, we got better at managing it. Um, but 
you are not particularly one to uh, like you're gonna push the limit if you get the option, right? Uh, and it was towards the or end. Or I like, just think, yeah, you know, like I can soldier through. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And then, happens, you die. The worst that happens, you just get sick. You just die. Well, the other thing is like you. The other thing, I, it's like, and this is one thing oh. I, I learned in politics. Like, there's certain types of, and everybody's different, but there's certain activities that, you know, an hour or two hours doing one thing is not the same as an hour and two hours doing another thing. And I don't mean like physical activity, but like the, in terms of mental energy. Well, this is know? the thing that nobody knows except for candidates. And so you think to yourself, it's like, okay, like I can work long hours. Um, but if someone sticks a mic in front of your face and then it's like, hey, you're going to say something. And by the way, if you like say the wrong thing, then, you know, we're, we're going to like splay it on networks around the, yeah. the, the country. So you have like a, a certain form of mental exertion. I know that. Feeling, and, yeah. and then when you go in front of like a group of people and then you give remarks and shake hands and like they say to you, like, hey, I really care about this. And you say like, oh, like, you know, tell me more. Tell, tell me more. And I really want to do something about that. That's like a, a different form of exertion. Yep. And a, a lot of these things are kind of social or psychic or emotional exertions that uh, tax you in a particular way. Mm -hmm. um, and unless you're frankly like just either like super duper extroverted or just a crazy person, like uh, a normal human can't do that stuff for more than X hours a day without uh, like, you know, like messing up, burning out, um, like something. Your brain your brain starts to turn to mush. Yeah, your time. brain starts to turn to mush or you just, you know, the, you start like saying gibberish or like, you know, or probably say the wrong thing. Like a, a lot of the things that you see uh, from political figures, it's like, you know, like a lot of them just get worn out uh, at, yeah. a, at a point in time. And so like it, it's a different form of work. Um, it's something that I had not anticipated even when I was deciding to run for office because like, oh, this will be sort of like being an entrepreneur. It'll be sort of like starting a nonprofit. Um, it's different because to, like to there, there's no. Not. Yeah, it stops being about that because it ends up being much, much more personal. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that we're scared shitless of right now is that we sense that our political figures are essentially becoming um, actors and theater performers. And they are. They have to be. The, the system cuts them that way. And that's what you were. This is a good point. Like up to. This was the transition for us, like up to essentially the Miami debate, but definitely up to Joe Rogan. So the first debate, you were like a CEO, like you were, yes, you were the front man, like doing that, that, but generally like I, I had, you know, control and other folks on the team or, or con, you know, ran the operation, you delegate well, but at the end of the day, we were running through you and we had to shift to you, like the candidate because yeah. the job is so hard. And the other thing is you talk about. Yes, you're 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 exhausted, and you got people that came to see you for miles, wherever they are. So you want to bring it for them. You want to give the the real. You want to care about what they're saying. You want to take the good selfie. You want to give the good speech, the good interview. But uh, you want to do the fundraiser well and raise the money. But then there's other things too, and we do all that, and then be like, okay, man, this next hour, you need to prep for this debate. You need to prep for CNN town hall. You need to read about the Middle East. You need to read about X, Y, Z, and like. Certain people and I, you at times is like that's the last thing in the world you want to fucking do right then. You know, like I want to, I need to sleep or I need to turn my brain off. Can we play video games, like I, you know, anything, right? And that's hard. And f for us as an inexperienced team, um, this is a this is a problem. I've worked now, you know, talk to experienced consultants. They have the same problem, but definitely us from an inexperienced team, especially the younger staffers or po folks that are not interacting with you on a day-to-day -day basis, we're, we're like, why isn't Andrew doing this? Why isn't Andrew doing more? Like, you're fucking kidding me? Like, there's literally physically, you know, they're, they're, like they don't understand the human toll of this, right? Um, and certain people 
are wired a certain way. You know, like uh, you're an introvert, right? So you're not you're exerting energy when you're talking to people. Some people get energy, right? Um, and if you're an extrovert, you probably have energy coming off a bus, and then you could do more worries. It's different, different. But every candidate is different. Yeah, I mean, I'd liken it to let's say you had someone who was like a Broadway performer, and then they would have a show every night and then they'd like you know rest and do the rest of it like would you have that broadway performer do uh three shows a day four shows a day um and then would you have them do four shows a day every day and then do that seven days a week and then do that for like 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 it doesn't make any sense because you'd be like no i would have you do it like you know once a day and then i'd have you go do something else and blah 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 so so when you're the candidate it, it is like you're doing like any number of of shows a a day Mm -hmm. and people don't realize too, you know, it's like you you think, I mean, all of my stuff was genuine. I mean, it was me. Um, but there is still like, uh, like that kind of like, okay, it's time to turn it on. Yes, of of course. And and I've been around now, you know, like actors, movie stars, comedians, politicians, uh, like countless TV hosts and, and there is an on switch on just about everyone. Like, like no, no one acts like that stuff until the cameras is uh, the number one thing uh, I, I get from a lot of people when they meet you, uh, for the first time, like actually meet you, they're like, wow, he's just kind of the same guy you see on TV. And the, the answer, yeah, yes, you are, you are on, you're more aware, but you're essentially the same human. That is not the case for the vast majority of TV hosts we work with. Don Lemon was kind of the same on and off camera I found. And I think some of the CNN folks were, you know, better than me, obviously. Um, but there are folks, they just don't say fucking anything and then bang, we're on and they're like a whole new human. Um, and I get it. Like it's exert. I mean, I just imagine like folks that like, if you did the today show or something, it's like every morning at four in the morning, like you're just a shell of a human being until the camera comes on, you know? Uh, the first time I was on live TV, I was very, very, uh, bewildered because the people would just be like ignoring you, looking at notes. And then all of a sudden it's on notice. And then, so you're sitting there and you're like, First time you're like, what's going on? Like, yep. this, and then the camera's on, and then everyone's like, "That's We love you now." Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Um, so, so the first debate doesn't go well, and then you make a command decision to be like, "Look, like Yang needs a bit of a break, and then a debate training camp," which was fascinating in that uh, we didn't have, I suppose, like professional uh, coaches come in um, until then. And so uh, leading up to the second debate, we have um, a communications guy and like a substance and policy guy. Yeah. Um, And uh, it it was like a like a revelation over me. I was like, oh, my gosh. We learned how to debate like a TV debate. TV debate, which is not real debate. We were a little arrogant in. You you got the message out every other way and every other format. Yeah, live then. event, podcast. I was like, whatever. It's fucking different, man. It's like it's it's a reality TV show, as you said, but it's also this like ping pong bullshit. And if you get in, you got to be ready to take heat. Um, it's it, and, like a, instead of a debate, I started to see it as a competitive distributed media uh, mm-hmm. performance. And I mean, look, the whole thing's bullshit, and it does not correlate to being a good president, realistically. Um, Except that you can handle a crucible, I guess, which is maybe that's a strong correlation. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we put you through. Well, so, I and mean, this was not a great, very popular decision on the team. Like, we didn't have a great debate and we had one more to go. And I'm like, and we're going on vacation. Uh, but uh, you got to make those calls. And this was needed. So we gave, you got you got rest. Uh, I got a little rest, but mainly got to build up a team. And then we put you through basically three weeks of debate hell. 
Um, it wasn't hell, hell. It was like nine to five. You know, we wanted to stay. A good I actually felt habits. really good during that because my schedule was more normal. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. You yes. know? And it was we summer. Here. It was summer. Uh, I was away from my family, which had its uh, pluses and minuses, frankly. Pros and cons. Yep. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN dot com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So going into the second debate, um, I'm feeling um, really good because one, I'm healthy. And I was like, oh, it's better when you're healthy. But two, it was in Detroit, which yep. I thought was a really good backdrop. I had a lot of friends in Detroit. I'd spent a lot of time there. Um, I felt like I understood uh, the Midwest and the issues, and it was very on theme for the campaign. Um, but the biggest difference was that CNN moderated, and CNN was fair. They like asked me automation questions. Yep. They they uh, some air time. They, yeah, they took it seriously, uh, and. I felt like, wow, this is a million times better um, uh, on multiple levels. So that we that had was, a glow up. We got your haircut, new suit, if I recall. You look sharp. Yeah, Zach, Zach started attending to a bunch of uh, theatrical details, which, by the way, was good for my marriage. So thank you, Zach. So that was the other, yeah. What was the other? It was like, all right, if we're going to, we learned everything the hard way, frankly, the first debate. And in round two, we're like, so like I said, you can't bring fans. And then we got to the, the, the thing in Miami. So we follow the rules, like, all right, we're not going to bring fans. We got to Miami and it's like a fucking home game for Kamala Harris and Warren. I'm like, well, this is bullshit. So then we went to Detroit and we brought the Scream team. Shout out Lacey and Pam uh, and a few others that uh, and they just went nuts anytime you spoke, which probably felt pretty good. Um, And we were prepared. We knew what to fucking do. We knew how to like. Basically, you don't actually answer the question. You. have a bunch of points that you're trying to hit. Uh, and Deflected so you, we hail your, ma- your message over and over. Yeah. So that was good fun. Uh, we had a closing that talked about how last time everyone was just fixated on my not wearing a tie. And we did, it's uh, a reality TV show. Good times. I called it the, uh, uh, 
what I call it. Uh, but was it letting Yang be Yang? I can't remember what I call it. Yeah. Um, but uh, drawing back attention to the no tie, which is good. It was full circle. Yeah. So that was July. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we qualified for the September, October debates. So we blew up a bit in July. Things are going well. Um, we essentially get not a summer off, but it's a little more relaxed in August. Well, just they don't have a debate in August, off, yeah. so we just did our thing. Um, a couple more rallies, uh, preparing for the debate, doing, we're able to hire a South Carolina team and Nevada teams. It, it, it is funny how, like, when I think about this time, my head naturally does go to the debates because they, they were monthly. They were something of a benchmark every time. If you didn't make it, you die. Um, uh, even though we grew to realize that it's like, look, these debates aren't often very game changey. No. Um, where even like the Kamala sticks it to Joe Biden, like that bump faded uh, by the next debate, I think. Um, so, th so the the debates were um, like not a like you know not as significant as I think we we all like to hype them up to be. But I still think about them. As the first like one in or terms two, of the calendar, I think, I, and then you can do the counterexample where obviously like Bloomberg's debate performance was was, was bad enough where the you know campaign can't recover. So there are, there are instances where it's like okay, like you know like these debates can be important if you have like an outlier negatively. I, I would argue it's very difficult to have an outlier positively because it is. Um, so you can have an outlier negatively, <laughs> especially the presidential like the. The general election debates. It's like everybody's kind of entrenched, um, especially Pat. So like, I would say generally, they. I think it's a, a zero-sum game here. They're either massively useful because you're, you're learning who the candidates are and that's like kind of the best way they can do it. Um, I think you should do podcasts long form, but you would lose a lot of your viewers. Um, uh, but they're also a massive waste of time and money. So uh, I think, you know, I would do... Fewer debates and a variety of formats if I was in charge. I would do one of these fucking crazy primetime ones, and then I would do like a long form one podcast style or, you know, like no audience, super long, like very chill, like a Joe Rogan type moderated debate. I will say, too, that in terms of the energy around me and my recognizability on the street, uh, the debates were a massive uh, yeah. where, where like the average casual American Correct. Saw something over the debates and was like, oh, wait, like, you know, Yang, like, you know, so between Joe Rogan and the presidential debates, this is when I became recognized on the street. We started getting taken off a bit, it's which, like, by the way, was 20 just million people, 18 million people watched the first two debates, essentially 18 to 12. Um, and then there's millions upon millions of people that get the recaps. And um, you talk in the book about our strategy in the Houston debate yeah. where. I vividly remember someone sitting me down um, and saying, hey, this debate's going to be really boring because uh, ABC is really boring uh, and the the you're probably going to have one opportunity to make any kind of mark. It's probably going to be your first answer. So what do you think about us giving money away? Yes. Uh, and I, well, I think we actually ran through a number of different possibilities and then settled on giving money away. And then I became favorable i was like well you know it's like it's on theme like might as well just make this about what the campaign is so this was like the attention economy thing we're looking at so we did some mock debates and they were fun apparently this is novel and it's shocking to me that we hired actors to play various candidates and bought an, like rented an auditorium and simulated the actual debate and then we did so we did that for detroit to really get him in, ready for that and then we did it again for houston and 
that was when that was the first like level up debate it was only 10 candidates left and they were all like let's call it the pro debaters and all had their own brands and political skill and followings we we're like we're just gonna get lost up there the same way everybody was like it was just like no one's gonna get any love off this debate really um so like but we needed love because we were only at two percent you know we needed to get more and so like what we gotta do a stunt essentially what the fuck do we do like we we already did the no tie thing we did the thousand dollars a month thing like there was how do you differentiate and we could you know you, you go to your head like you could attack a candidate it's not always great like you look at the numbers and that stuff it's not particularly awesome like tulsi gabbard for example like chewed out tim ryan i think in the first debate like neither of them did great after that like you could go you know uh and some of these Bigger candidates, they'll punch back a lot. Like going after Liz Warren, you look at Bloomberg, like, that was not great. Um, so being the free money guy, it was. And so we hyped it up. Um, we gave away $1,000 to- uh, A month to 10 different to families. 10 different families. And I, you know, obviously we knew, I wrote all about this. Like I, we knew it was a gimmick, right? And we knew people, people would hate it. The pundits would hate it, um, but it was on brand. Um, and we figured people would forget about it, that it was a gimmick and you'd get your polling bump and you'd be able to keep existing for a while. And if people knew you as the guy who gave away money. It's not bad. I didn't, I didn't hate it. Uh, I didn't hate the Asian Oprah thing. What was fucking crazy, dude, was, so the pundits like shat on us when this first happened. Right. Um, but we had, I wrote like, it was like 2 million people went to our website in like a matter of seconds. It was like the website almost like we prepared, prepared for millions upon millions of people to go to the website and it broke for a little bit. There's that many like, and this is Amazon servers. Like they don't have that many people go to one website at one time, like instantly like that. Um, so uh, we were, you were the third most searched, like yeah, third most searched topic in the fucking world that night. Um, like we, we thought we had blown up before. No, we blew, we blew up. And that was when you like, couldn't go anywhere without being recognized after that one debate. Um, and what was fun was all the pundits who had talked shit about this debate strategy, like changed their tune very quickly in like 48 hours when we announced how many people came to the website, how many donors we got, how many new emails we got. We raised a ton, ton of money, uh, and we bumped in polling. We qualified for the next two. It was like pretty much overnight, like bang. And then it was just like, as if it never happened. Um, which makes me think in hindsight, we should have done more stunts. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it actually would have worked, but uh, this one works so well. Um, maybe we should have tried maybe to keep pushing the envelope. But the problem is, and you, we've talked about this in this podcast before, is that if we were Republicans, it would have worked. It, more stunts would have worked because they hate the press. Only you know, 75% of the Republicans don't really trust the, the media. And it's actually 85%. Is that media. high? Yeah. Jeez, I thought it was only three quarter. Jeez. Uh, and the Dems are what? 65? Trust it? 69. 69. Yeah. So this is why you're the numbers guy. Uh, I've, I get close enough for government work. Uh, <laughs> but like Dems trust the press. So if they were shitting on you all the time, it wasn't. We didn't think that was a winning strategy. Um, and sadly, it's probably right. So. But that was our level up. Now, at that point, dude, I thought I thought after either July or September, we had a real shot to go on and win, which I know sounds that sounds wild, but I was on the impression, I don't know about you, I was on the impression the hard part was done. Like we got, you were a thing. You know, like the hardest part was going from zero to a contender, like top 10, top five. Uh, 
the rest part, like winning, obviously hard. But if you did all that stuff before, that you're there for a reason. You're there because you have the potential to win. I thought that was a very logical conclusion to say. Who the fuck is this guy? Like, right? And that was couldn't have been more wrong. Um, <laughs> could not have been more wrong. Uh, that was like that's as far as we got. Actually, the polling pretty much after that debate was as high as we went, even despite lots of ad spending. Well, we got uh, so the the next debate threshold was three percent. We qualify, and then four percent. Uh, we qualify and uh, we, we keep on rumbling along. We rumbled. I mean, we got good polls then. So we had. You know, yeah, for, um, for a while. But to your point, we didn't drop per se. To your point, the problem really came in trying to transition to a broader appeal and base. Uh, and I remember you coming to me during the campaign and you put it in the book where you're like, OK, there's the, the Yang um, brand and it's um, no. Uh, fun, positive, iconoclastic, uh, different, anti-establishment. But these are Democrats we're talking about, and we need to try and broaden you to become more acceptable to like the average mainstream Democratic primary voter. So what we want you to do is to to strike a different tone, be be, uh, more serious, and we're going to use this particular speech as the launching point. And I heard this and I said, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then I... uh, Learn a great new speech. Learn a great new speech. Kids, Kids are not, are not all right. right. Not a great speech. Uh, and then we debuted it uh, in Iowa. We got a thousand people show up at that Rivers Cuomo played in Weezer. We yeah. like rolled out for this thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we put a lot of energy into it, and I would say that that speech, uh, Evelyn was there, um, was one of the high points of the campaign still in my mind, uh, because I thought I did a really good job. I saw the other candidates, and I saw frankly myself, and I was like, I felt like uh, I was one of like the the top um, performances of the night, so Correct. to speak. I was getting texts from reporters and friends and friends on the campaigns. Speech of the night. I put this in book. Speech of the night. Wow, your boy came to play tonight. I'm in tears. It is a very good speech. It was a presidential speech in many ways. Um, uh, and then uh, afterwards, it was like it never happened. Like the press. If you weren't in the room, it did not exist. Yeah. And press that was like nothing. a very, very strange feeling. Um, and, and so this is when... And we talk about this in the book where uh, like that, that there was like a degree of mainstream credibility or acceptability that uh, the press did not want to give us. Correct. Uh, and that was one of the clearest examples I remember because I was like, look, I felt like I did my job. You know, yes. like my job was to deliver uh, a strong message uh, in, in a way that would stick. Uh, and, and that was one of the things, too, that like from, from being around these are the candidates and campaigns. It's like, you know, they're human beings. I'm a human being. We all do our thing. Um, but then everything gets refracted through like the, the, this media mirror, because obviously 99.9% of people are, are not in the room. They're right. not like watching us uh, deliver these things. So they'll just take cues from whatever, of course, uh, from, from whatever the press says. This is and, the game, man. And, and this was also during the, the time period during which like we started having the, uh, the Yang media blackout, right. um, particularly with MSNBC. Uh, left off polls and not graphics and the whole thing and it was just ridiculous like the most ridiculous was when i qualified for the california debate i was the Mm -hmm. last i was the only not non-white candidate on that stage and it was like a piece of political news that everyone just reports it's like andrew yang qualifies for uh you know debate number six Uh, and msnbc wouldn't even report that because i was like 
I was curious at the time. I was like, well, they, they have to report that. I mean, you can't just like, like pretend that that didn't happen. Uh-huh. And they did. They were like, and like, you know, and, and I was like, okay, like this is really ridiculous at yeah, this point. It was, uh, it was tough, a really tough swallow. Cause I, like I said, like I thought this would be the point where we start to take off like from the mainstream. And uh, so there's a couple of reasons for it. Right. Um, one, as I say, like they do have a level of trust with voters that the Republicans don't have the Democrats, like, you know, mainstream media and the Democrats have a deeper relationship. Um, and you need to get that blessing in the Democrat Party, at least as of today. Like you, you need that. Um, we did everything we could to not get that in the early days because we did everything we could because we were being ignored. So we were doing like, hey, look at me all the time. And so once we had finally, let's call it earned the ability to get the mainstream coverage, they didn't want to give it right. Um because we had done all this, let's call it gimmicks or things that they they didn't approve of. I, I have a slightly different what take on it. Um, By the I, way, I think there's more to it than what I just said. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I like I, I just I don't think we were going to get it no matter what. Probably right. Like, like it wasn't like oh you did these other like you know like not non-serious things so now I can't like get, give you serious coverage. It's like they didn't want to cover us from the beginning and then. They didn't want to give a serious coverage yes. at, at any point. You got that in your mayor's race too, man, where it's like, you know, they, this, the left media in particular, they're kingmakers. They find you when you run for city council and then state rep and then local congressional rep and like, blah, blah, like up the chain. And so there's like, that's what they want. And you think about the candidates they've approved, like even Bernie got a lot of hate too. And he's like, not that he was, I mean, the sitting center is like not really off the beaten path, but uh, more so than the rest, right? And so um, I think to me, the biggest example was Amy Klobuchar, which like she had an okay debate. Yeah, she's good, right? But nothing like no world beating performance in these debates where she got a ton of coverage down the stretch and bumped like 15 points. The message didn't change. The moment didn't change. It wasn't like a core piece of her policy, which I'm not sure what I like the Midwest is the policy there. Um, that Nothing of that changed. It was just the press covered her more, right? That earned media piece. And so you needed that blessing. And so the analogy I use in the book is um, what I call Bud Light marketing, is you need to be... So why does Bud Light advertise? They don't advertise because they have a new product. Or it's Bud Light. It's been the same forever. It doesn't taste like anything. It tastes like water. Uh, they advertise to normalize it. So if someone orders a Bud Light, no one gives you a funny look. Um, and Doritos, you go down the list of why these these brands advertise. Um, but you were, I say, you know, if uh, we needed to be Bud Light, but you were uh, 420 Sweetwater Pale Ale. You were, you were yeah, Sweetwater, yeah. Um, you were a, you were a Sweetwater like craft beer, uh, delicious. And like better than well, Bud Light in every point, right? Where it's like, well, thank if you, you want very it because much. it's more locally sourced or it'll get you drunker or it tastes better or it's got a cooler bottle. Like, go down the list. But if you did a taste test today or asked people, would they rather have Bud Light or Sweetwater across the country, they would all pick, like the majority pick Bud Light because they're familiar with it. Uh, it's less risky. And that's kind of where we're at. And the things we had to do to get attention and get in the game were Sweetwater, um, beer, activities but we needed to get the bud light activities and uh that wasn't us um and you know as i said this book what got you here won't get you there and that's partially true there's all the parts like they weren't ever going to line up behind you i don't think we could have run up you could have done it better and i don't think you come out victorious there either you know
so down the stretch of the campaign, uh, thank you, Yang Gang, we're raising money, which means that consultants <laughs> show up. Um, and, then, and then the consultants are like, hey, you need some TV ads. Uh, and then we film said TV ads. And that was such a trip for me when we were at that point. Um, and I remember you all seeing the ads and being like, oh, I like this one. don't like that one as much. Um, but, <laughs> but filming them was such a trip. And we spent $7 million on ads in Iowa um, where I would get into the hotel uh, at night in uh, Iowa. Um, and then I would turn on the TV and then there'd be my ad. And then there'd be the Elizabeth Warren ad. And then there'd be the, the Joe Biden you ad. You watch TV like, in Iowa. It's just ad, 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 ad. Yeah, we it's awful. Just, God we, bless the people of Iowa. We were inundating people. And I remember uh, sitting with the consultants and they were like, look, we've moved Iowans on all of these things about you. Like cares about people like me. Has yes. uh, new ideas. Understands uh, the, the economy. Wants to have a beer with. Like I, I was shooting up in all of these measurements um the only measurement i couldn't shoot up on was like i'm gonna vote for this guy to be president of the united states had the experience and it is because like has the experience uh uh necessary to to be president um i scored low on and so there were a lot of people that were like well like yang um not gonna vote for him oh the two things i failed on number one experience and number two can defeat donald trump oh yeah Um, at, at the end of the day the single biggest factor for Democratic primary voters was which of these candidates will beat Donald Trump. And eventually they landed on Joe Biden, which, by the way, happened to be accurate. It worked. Like, yeah. like, like Joe did, well, yeah, did Half the country Trump. doesn't believe that, but. Yes. Well, worked. he did. But the. the uh, <laughs> uh, and that, uh, in a way, is understandable because yes. if you liked Yang, but you were like, well, this guy's still somewhat new and untested, unproven. Are we really going to bet? Like uh, the country on that, yeah, on him to defeat Trump. It's like I'll just go with Joe. Yep. Um, and that was the so that that became our reality when uh, caucus night hit in Iowa. Yeah. And there were hundreds of people from around the country. Thank you again, Yang Yang, who showed up, volunteered. One guy dislocated his kneecap, and just and like and you know, and in the ice and snow because yep. it's very cold. Wild, then. Yep. And then still just kept on going and like freaking like a, a wheelchair. Um, and we got eight thousand nine hundred fourteen. Uh, votes, which was 24% of the approximately 40,000 that we that we need. Uh, unfortunately, because of the 15% rule, like our they zero you out pretty quick. They, they zero you out pretty quick if you're not above um, uh, a certain threshold. So the yeah. the ultimate winners, um, uh, Bernie got I think like 42,000 votes or something like that, um, which was what I'd projected that we would need initially. Um, so our Five uh, percent like displays as one percent because of the the fifteen percent uh, right. um, rule, and so we end up with a really tough night. I got to say, um, there were different emotions I had during the tail end of the campaign, and we were fighting very hard, we were campaigning very hard, a lot of energy, a lot of volunteers, everything else. Um, the numbers were showing it's like, look, you're having trouble moving your top line, um, but it was really only when I walked into that polling site, the caucus site in uh des moines where i was like oh shit like th- this is this yeah this is not gonna be our night you lean over like yeah this isn't gonna go well for us tonight <laughs> yeah because you yeah because you go in and there's like a small pocket of yang signs that comprised you know four or five percent of the gym which is about what we got uh and then there are signs for everyone else everywhere um and uh we wound up with five percent which got zeroed out in that station 
Um, but but imagine being the candidate. So what what happened was I was the only candidate in that gym that night. Yeah, I mean every candidate goes to one spot. Yeah, it goes to a different right. thing. So uh, you know weird. it would be weird if we were all in the same place. But you had different people giving statements on behalf of different campaigns, and then it's like Andrew Yang's here, and yeah. then I'm like, yeah. And then you know people give me like polite applause, even though most of them are not fans of mine. And yeah. then I give a nice speech, and then I get warmer applause after the speech, and then a couple people be like, yeah, you know what? Like that was good. Yeah, I'm gonna call you. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I remember one woman came to me and said, please run again yeah and and i heard that and was like well in a way that's like a high compliment no but in a way that's like definitely not caucusing for you tonight yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it was uh so yeah the money in iowa so yeah i think we had the, i have a couple of things to say so one was the strategy where it was like go in you can go all in in iowa or you can skip iowa go to new hampshire you can skip both of them and go to south carolina or nevada first when we lost Iowa, we didn't have a great night. We could zero it out in Iowa. Then, and the problem with Iowa is that you needed 15% in a whole bunch of districts to even play ball. That's there's a threshold there. So you can, you know, 10% in Iowa theoretically would be wonderful, but it would we would have the same exact. We doubled our score, would have had the, essentially the same result there, um, which is why Iowa was bad, like a tough first date. But the problem was, if the whole thing was about press attention, which it was, and we were not getting any saying that we don't like the traditional process, like, fuck you, Iowa, we're going to New Hampshire or South Carolina, was not a good way to get legitimacy in mainstream coverage. It was actually a, a worse way. And you could argue, and that's what happened, I think, with Tulsi and, um, what's his name, the billionaire, Tom Steyer, um, where they said, we're going to go South Carolina directly or go to New Hampshire directly. And they got no coverage leading up to the race and then underperformed in both of their states. Um, because of the lack of coverage. So uh, Iowa got us a good amount of mainstream coverage if you were on the cover of the Des Moines Register as part of it. Like you were in the hunt, you know. Um, I, but it did I, suck I, a moment. I, I looked at it and I think we made the right decision because yeah. I agree with you. If you skipped Iowa, then it was like, okay, like what was really going to happen? Were you really going to break out in New Hampshire? Crush and crush in New Hampshire and, and, after and, everybody talks about the winner of Iowa? Yeah, no. in, 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 in that way. Um, I, I do regret that, and we should talk about the the, the decision to suspend. Um, I do regret that I didn't get to uh, um, count the votes in Nevada. You wanted to go to Nevada and South um, Carolina, yeah. Yeah, I was just in Nevada last week and had a blast. Thank you, Nevada. But um, but I, I remember we have a tough night in Iowa, and then I give a speech to Iowan supporters. Um, and then I put a positive face on it because they still hadn't officially counted the votes, um, and then we're off to New Hampshire. But but we kind of knew that debacle, that, you know, that we'd uh, gotten below the threshold. And then we land in New Hampshire for a week of campaigning. Like it was again, like event after event. Um, we're off the bus because the buses are too big for the roads in New Hampshire, so we're in in rental vehicles and SUVs. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, somewhere in the middle of that week, uh, you and the team sit me down and say, "Hey." your call, but uh, we think you should consider suspending the campaign if New Hampshire doesn't go well. Not a fun combo. Oh, so what was your lead in to sit down and have this? Because I just remember being on the receiving end of that combo. It was, uh, so you're talking with the team, you're like, okay, New Hampshire, like, you know, you basically know a couple of days after the caucus, like, all right, are we the story out of Iowa? No. Like, we're getting less coverage than we had before. We put way more money on TV in Iowa than we did New Hampshire. Like, it's not going to go out. It's not going to go well for us. Now, New Hampshire is always a stronger state for us. So, and there's, it's, 
you don't have to like you had open registration, I think. Um, so there was a chance we overperformed, but we weren't confident. And then it was like, okay, we had a movement that we built. And it was, what do we do? Because I, I was like, I was worried. I was like, I knew you, you were like, I'm going to the convention. It makes all the sense in the world. And I think that does, if you're trying to get the message out and you were like a no-name candidate going out, but you would now become a real candidate. And uh, we were like, I think, you know, talking internally, like, I think if we drag this out, it becomes as, like you go back, you almost go first full circle back to the illegitimate candidate we were early. And the fear was, doing damage to the movement instead of how serious it had become. And so you go out and the best thing when you drop out, everybody, no one wants the, the Dems to go back to playing nice again. So uh, the best press coverage you ever got was the night you dropped out. Everybody in the world, all these famous people calling you and telling you how great you are because you're no longer a threat to the status quo. Um, but yeah, like going in is like, uh, I think I remember laying you straight like, hey, I'll stick with you because I'm your friend, but uh, we're gonna have to fire a lot of people. Like we're not gonna raise any money if we do this, uh, if you stay on. Um, but you remember, I remember you saying this very clearly, like, okay, we'll have a contingency plan, but we're fighting like fucking hell this week because I'm not, we're not doing, if we want to drop out, you know, to be lame, we'll do it now. We're not doing that. We're gonna fight to win New Hampshire. And if we don't win, then we make the call and we're ready to rock. Um, so yeah, that was a wild, bit of a wild week behind the scenes, if you will. Yeah, and, uh, I, re I re remember really enjoying that week in New Hampshire, but there was like also a lot of energy, a lot of volunteers, had some really good events. Yep. Um, but you the, always you get the crowds. That wasn't the issue. Yeah. People wanted to hang out with you, wanted to beer with you, wanted a photo with you, like youth vote. It was just actual voting for you. It was a bit of a yeah, but the, then the returns man. came back that night too. It was rel and it was clear relatively early. And, <laughs> well, and, that. Yeah, that it wasn't happening. And but so we got chicken like, fingers at Puritans. Um, Still good. Yes. Miss you, New Hampshire. Love you, too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember deciding to suspend and uh, it was really tough. Like the, the toughest thing actually was going to Nevada the next day and uh, people were in tears. We got a lot of messages. That's right. Uh, we had a big thing planned in Nevada the next day. Saying like, oh, you know what happened? There were a lot of people that were just stunned that it was over. Uh, and, you know, looking back on it again, um, I don't think we made the wrong decision. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a very, very rough period and it felt like you'd just been running a hundred miles an hour and then all of a sudden, like, it, like you're like a cartoon character where you're like running in the cliff, the, you know, the, the, the ground's not there anymore. Out. Yep. Um, so uh, what a 48 hours that was that there, there were a lot of people calling me at that point. Like obviously all the candidates that were still in it were calling me to... Mm -hmm congratulate me and nudge me in the way of endorsing them. Um, so that was, yep. that was interesting. Let me ask you this. So one of the things, I, there's a chapter, there's a chapter I took out of the book because it was too negative. Really? Uh, or just like hate, it was too much haterade in this chapter. But I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, maybe outtakes. Maybe you long this. shot outtakes. Long shot outtakes. So I wrote a whole chapter on the war on normal people is driven by political consultants, 
And oh, dude, this chapter totally gold. And I took it out. Maybe I'll share it at some point. But I took it out because it had nothing to do with the fucking story. But it was so I want to and I've maybe talk about this in the pod before. But like, OK, you're running. Let's paint this picture for you. If you're running for office, there is no real institutional knowledge for campaigns. You know what I'm saying? Like if you start in like the world of finance, like there's people that have worked at multiple firms and there's like best practices shared across banks and institutions, orgs. And that's like true for almost every industry, insurance and education. You go down the list, right? But what is it for politics? Because these campaigns, they die. They're like six months to two years max, right? And so there's no longevity there. Um, and if you go work on the Hill, that's a separate federally regulated entity than your campaign, right? Those are somewhat federally regulated or whatever they are, state regulated, but it's different. Um, so what's the institutional knowledge for the politics we all know, which is mainly campaigning, and it ends up becoming consultants. And so what happens is you're Andrew Yang and you're running for office or you're Zach Graham and you run a run for office. And what do you need? You need somebody who has press relationships to talk to people. And who has press relationships? It's someone who can stay on to multiple campaigns. That ends up becoming a consultant. You want to get some polling done. Well, who runs polls over and over and compare them over time? It ends up being a consultant that works with lots of campaigns. You go down the list, like someone who like knows how to fundraise across multiple races. You need a fundraising consultant. You need someone who does research on all of the people in your district uh, and you're in the state of New York. I research all the candidates. Hire a research consultant. The institutional knowledge in politics is consultants. And you have to, the problem is you have to have them because they have relationships you will not have. Um, you can't, no amount of money can help you avoid this shit because you need to hire, someone needs to do political polls. Someone needs to be able to like, try that are trustworthy. Someone needs to do fucking the comp stuff. So the problem is it's not like a consultant like Bain or McKinsey that you and I would hire when you were an entrepreneur where they have like, aligned incentives with you, generally speaking, uh, where you hire them to do a task. I want you to figure out this XYZ problem and they come back to you with a report and whether or not you can do it or not, or they bless XYZ. These consultants theoretically are supposed to help you win, but that's not their incentive. Their incentive is to make money and get more clients down the road. So their incentive is to help you win to a point where they don't get embarrassed and they can lose and still look good. And that is the delta range. That's awful. And for someone like you that's trying to win, uh, you know, they'll never like a reporter writes something bad about you and you want to go hammer them, they're gonna press you to the other direction because they have a relationship with that reporter and they may need write a may need them to write a piece on their next race. They may be working on four or five other races where that reporter is also writing things. Uh they need they need that they think the if they, if a pollster they hired came out with a, did a shit job they may be working with them on other races may need to work with them in the future digital marketing you go down the list there's, there's a political industrial complex that kind yes. of sits on top of everything and it's if you look this is why I wrote in the chapter like look at Joe Biden's administration who are they they're all political consultants it's everywhere they run the fucking world dude and like some are great some are awful. More awful than great, to be honest with you. Um, but they run everything because that's who ends up working. That's who works on the Hill. That's who works in the staffers. They just becomes a way to make. And that's the real way to make money in politics. So, yeah, I don't know your thoughts on this, but this irked me big time. Well, I, I think that, that hits home for a lot of people. Uh, and uh, it's one reason why people are so fed up and frustrated. It's like the, the, these forces kind of keep the status quo in place. Yes. 
that there's a lot of money built in. And if you go against the machine, then the machine tries to stick it to you in, yes. var in various ways. And the machine is powerful because they can easily build up a another candidate very quickly, very quickly. And so it takes so, a Trump. It, like the reality is like Trump was able to both like bulldoze his way through all this because he was not only was he super rich, People forget, but he was 99.9% .9 name recognition. Super famous. Super famous. And like then that's rare. Those and, combos are almost, like and Elon then he, Musk is the only one I think right And now. then he overrode a party that was very, very uh, institutionally weak. Yes. Uh, that had, was filled with voters who did not care. Didn't give a shit. About the yes. establishment. So this is my fundamental insight and in why I started the forward party. Yeah. Was that people on the left who want to do the same thing with the Democratic Party. I'm like, no, no, it's going to be much, much harder in the Democratic Party because 69% trust the media mm -hmm. because half of them want the party to become more conservative, not less. Mm -hmm. uh, because they're going to kneecap you at every turn. And the example I use is, look, Democrats said 75% of the legislature in California a governor who ran on single parent health care couldn't even bring it to a vote. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the machine. Uh, I love that story, by the way, for your example. Yeah. At, at this point, the, the Democratic Party and the machine are um, like, you know, 85 percent overlapping. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you're like, oh, I'm going to like turn the machine to all these other ends. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like if that, you that's, get Bernie and put all the establishment, voters aren't going to follow. They, like to your point, they want to be more conservative than like it's not the far left doesn't have the support that the far right does in terms of its like ability to bulldoze well um, well they're trying to bulldoze a, a much stronger um yeah that's party institutionally too it. yes you know it's like you you have like all these uh roadblocks uh you know in terms of the money i mean you're looking at like billions of dollars that's poured into the coffers of the democratic party which also is going to be a force for status quo yes. because any meaningful change you want to make is going to end up running afoul of like a whole panoply of Corporate interests. Yes. And this is like, if you look at Cory Booker, and I we like Cory Booker. I like him a lot. But you look at Cory Booker when he was like mayor of Newark to who he is today in terms of substance of what he says, it's night and day. And it's nothing against Cory Booker, frankly, it's seriously, because it's human nature to do this. But you start off and you've got, you're idealistic and you're real and you're fucking bucking the trends and you're doing your thing, but you have to raise money. And crowdfunding is frankly a, a recent thing, which wasn't a huge thing with Cory when Cory was taking off. So you end up going to what they call bundlers, who are people that know a whole bunch of other rich people who love politics. And they can say, hey, I'll raise you $100,000 plus. And they get lots and lots of rich people to come to your events. Now, what happens? You meet all these people. They have your phone number. They're max donors. They blah, blah, blah. And you end up listening to them. And it's just years and years and years of these people dripping in your head. And it's a small subset of people. And they're all highly political. So what do they read? What does that mean? They're reading the New York Times and they're listening to MSNBC and they're following Politico and they're not in touch with reality the way the average Americans are. And you end up skewing towards either nothing or like a, just a puppet. Yeah, I think uh, max owners represent, I want to say it was literally like a fraction of a percent of uh, of the American public. 69,000 so, people. Yeah, yeah so it, it's, uh, it, you know, it's not a normal perspective. I was actually thinking of the corporate layer of money like the billions of dollars that are right on top of it. When you talk oh, about the yeah. two major parties, yeah. like that, there's a ton of money. Uh, poor, you know, I'll, I'm, like everything, you look at the National Convention, it's like wall-to-wall -wall corporate sponsors and everything else. <laughs> so, what did AOC said she walked in and Goldman Sachs was a sponsor for her like uh, orientation. Uh, orientation. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, so... so um, Come on. Come on. So uh, what's wild is that 
we had a, uh, an amazingly successful campaign. And yet to your point, like we still didn't truly come close to winning yeah. in, in the way that uh, there were moments when it's like, oh my gosh, like the people are behind us, you can do this thing. Like the machinery on this side is stronger than it is on the other side. Yes. Uh, and that that was one of my big learnings. I'm now still, by the way, grinding to try and uh, find ways around the machine to upend the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the forward party is uh, a real historic opportunity because the two party system is so uh, decrepit and ossified and people yeah. aren't, aren't loyal to it. Um, but, uh, you know, we had to run the campaign to know what we know. And what, what's interesting too, is like, if I, you know, it's like, like you said, it's like, you look back at it and, and this is not a story in my mind. It's like, Oh, if we just done that one thing differently or made this other decision, mm. then like, you know, I, I like, yeah, like, like that, good point. like, Very I don't, I don't, point. I don't feel that. No, um, I don't either. I don't it, have any regrets really. Cause it wouldn't have mattered. I, I don't have regrets in that way either. I mean, did we make Mistakes, yes. Oh, I, made made decisions all, I, made, I want to be clear. I made all the mistakes. Like yeah, all, we made, made, made. And if you want <laughs> to get a sense of some of Zach's mistakes, you should definitely read Longshot. There you go. Um, but like, but the the um, the crucial elements in my mind were not within our control. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's something that you know, it's like I, I feel really uh, proud of and pumped by what we accomplished. Um, and the question now is, can we continue to build and adapt and innovate uh, and and keep making right. awesome things happen for people? And that that is actually the point of this book. Let's get way close. It's like the point of the book is that the game has changed. Like we were living proof that this game is changing. Yeah, and no the, one thought we could do what tra- we did. The gatekeepers of power uh, from traditional politics of old, like their structures are cracking. They're not cracked. I think they're more cracked than the, the Republican side. But generally speaking, they're cracking, not there, but they're not done yet. But the trend is going the way you want it to. The trend is going more populist. It is becoming uh, more and more likely that an- more and more Andrew Yangs start existing and popping up, um, which is exciting. And I think politics in the future is going to look very different, which is, uh, I hope, a good thing. There's some, you know, it's tough to compromise when you're a type of, you know, I talk about identity brands. It's tough to compromise from your like, you know, strong positions on certain things. But over time, I'm, I'm optimistic on where this goes. And I do think forward party uh, in itself mechanically might be um, one of the things that actually creates a bigger wedge in some of these cracks. So, well, um, I, I think things are changing, man. I think the challenge for us is really to see some of those uh, changes be positive as opposed to some of the negative changes. You know what I mean? Like, like, like some very negative things are now possible and on the table. That's true. And let, let's get some positive things. That's uh, my goal on, on nowadays. Like, I, I'm, I'm choosing to be happy, man. Like I'm choosing just Glass half full. Well, you should be very, very happy and proud of this accomplishment. My campaign would never have reached millions without Zach's leadership and strategies. Anyone who wants to make change in the world or who simply loves an incredible story that you all made possible. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Should read this book. Love you all. Staffers and everybody. Like, look, this. My name's on the the cover, but you know, I'm literally getting credit for a lot of the work. An incredible team did so. Now you know how I feel, Um, bro. (laughs) We love you guys. We'll see you next week. 